into a godly man. And I hope this morning, as nervous as I am, that the word will go forth. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will communicate the words to the hearts of people that are listening, not only in this building, but listening through live stream. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I have done something different this morning. I, the last few years, I've been using the ESV translation. But for my text this morning, out of Second Peter, I had to change back to my New King James. And the reason is because there's one word in there that, uh, that the ESV doesn't have. And I think that it doesn't do it justice. And that's the word precious. And you're going to see that word uh, in the text today. The word precious is very dear to me. But I want to start out by saying this. As we see and hear what's going on around this world, we say it, we hear it said, it seems that all common sense is gone from the leaders who are making decisions, not only for our country, but around the world. And I think that sometimes we need to be reminded what Paul wrote Timothy. Uh, I got a clicker. And he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I think it, we need to be reminded of that. It's the way it's going to be. But as we get into Second Peter, it's interesting to note that there are certain things that God wants us to do, even through times of trouble. You know, Peter, First Peter was written to the Christians, the true believers that were being persecuted and scattered. Second Peter is written to believers 
to keep a close watch on your personal life, on your personal testimony, on your personal walk with God. Since you have been a Christian, or at least made a profession of faith, have you ever had the thought, you know, why can't God just give me something real specific to do so I know what to do, that I don't have to really have all the ups and downs in my Christian life, that I can have a steady a steady pace to go and grow? You ever thought of that? Well, if you haven't, you're probably in the minority. But God has given us something in Second Peter. So as we get to it, we have specific instructions. And I want to read to you something that is... I, I've read this a, a couple years ago when I, when I was doing a message. And it's still interesting to me. Have you ever heard of a, a guy by the name of R.A. Torrey? Nobody? Okay, somebody did. Okay. <laughs> At least one person. Well, he was back, he was born in 1856 and, and he died in 1928. He was an American evangelist, pastor, educator, and an author. But this is an interesting testimony. Somebody by the name of Dr. Congdon once approached R.A. Torrey, complaining that he could get nothing out of the Bible. He said, please tell me how to study it so that it will mean something to me. Torrey said, read it. He says, I do read it. He said, read it some more. He said, how? How do I read it where I can get something out of it? He said, take some book. Read it 12 times a day for a month. And Tory recommended Second Peter. Dr. Condon later said, My wife and I read Second Peter three or four times in the morning, two or three times at noon, two or three times at dinner, and soon I was talking Second Peter to everyone I met. It seemed as though the stars in the heavens were singing the story. Of Second Peter. I read Second Peter on my knees, marking passages, man after my own heart. Teardrops mingled with the crayon colors. And I said to my wife, See how I have ruined this part of my Bible. And she said this. Yes, but the pages have been, while the pages have been getting black, your life has been getting white. Now, I have to admit, I haven't, I haven't read Second Peter 12 times a day, but I've been in it for a few months. It's although all three chapters should be read at one time. I have read it a lot, 
I've had it read to me as I listened to my Bible read to me. And I've listened to several messages and read, read commentaries on it. If you've not studied Second Peter, maybe you would want to take that challenge. It will encourage you. So, as we get into the scripture, as always, if you have a, a good study Bible, it's easy to look up an outline of any book, the history of it, tells you when it was written, or guessing at least. And uh, so, I just want to be up front. I'm not plagiarizing anyone. But I am using notes, and I have permission from a pastor named Gary Hamrick. I also, well, I didn't ask, I didn't ask these other two guys because they're dead. So I couldn't ask them. And I didn't ask one of the other guys that I'm using because he's still alive, but we have his commentary, and that's that world-famous pastor, Dwight Oswald. You know, that has 17 notes and a, 17 pages of notes and a, and a message. But, but uh, I'm using Warren Wiersbe and, and J. Vernon McGee. And so uh, those are notes that I'm using. And then I have also some personal notes. But I will, I'm just giving credit where credit is due. I learn from other people. And I hope you would too. There are three chapters in Second Peter. Chapter 1 is to remind believers to grow in their walk with God. As I said earlier, keep a close watch on your personal life, your personal testimony. Chapter 2 is a warning regarding false teachers. There have been false teachers. There will be false teachers till Jesus comes and uh, sets up his kingdom. So, we must be discerning. One of the goals that we have at Southview Bible Church is that people know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, you can be led astray with false doctrines. And Peter gives a strong warning in 2 Peter about false teachers. Chapter 3. Peter shows the patience that God has with the unbelievers. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he also shows that if they don't repent, they will be judged. I think I have another slide here. Peter was a writer, Simon Peter. Now, I have to note, because everybody I listened to or read had this in there to some degree. There are some liberal theologians who say that Peter did not write the book of Second Peter. But if we read the greeting, it says Simon Peter. And so that should be good enough. It was written probably from Rome. Nobody knows for sure, but possible because it could be the same place he wrote First Peter, 
because that's where he was martyred. It was written to believers, no specific church like Ephesus or Colossae or, or uh, to the Galatians. No specific, just general believers. And it is addressed to true believers of faith. This is what the ESV says, a faith of equal standing. But I like the New King James. It says precious faith. It was written at around 65 AD, although the, the date varies. About one year after First Peter and about two years before Peter was martyred while Nero was still in power. One thing I did not know, and I've, I've never read this anywhere else, but tradition says that Peter's wife was martyred right beside him. I didn't know that. Some of you might have read that somewhere. But right beside him, that, that's pretty interesting. So let's get into the Word. Chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, who wrote the book? Simon Peter. Now, Simon is his Hebrew name. Now, I was listening to David Guzik, although his name is, is pronounced Guzik. But uh, I was listening to him, and he said, you know, I don't, listen, I, I don't know Greek. I don't understand Greek, but I understand how to read people and listen to people who know Greek. And I'm in that same boat. I don't know Greek. I make a mess of it every time I, every time I try. But Simon was a Hebrew name, and, and it's pronounced Shimon. And his name means something. It means to listen or to hear. I thought that was interesting. And his name, that, his Greek name is Peter, and that's the name that Jesus gave him after, after Peter proclaimed that Jesus was indeed the son of the living God. He says that he says that uh, he was he says uh, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Well, first he says that Simon Peter, a bond servant, uh, he's a slave, and a bond servant was one who willingly followed their master. And he was an apostle, of course, of, of Jesus. He was he was saw the resurrected Christ. And in verse 2, he says, or he says, by the, to those who have obtained like precious faith. This is where I want to be for a little while. Like precious faith. What is that? That is where a person who really understands they need to put their trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross. He said it is finished. We can't do anything to get that salvation. We can't do anything to get that faith. It's all, our, the only thing we do is respond when we hear the gospel message. 
But the scripture's clear. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. We have to, our, ours is a, our response is what makes it, makes it possible for us to be saved. But it's all of God. But the like precious faith, and it's only by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy. He saved us. It's according to his mercy. He saved us. You know, a while back, we were introduced to a new song for the, for the band. And Tom looked at me and said, what do you think? I, said, I don't like people messing with my song. My favorite song is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. That's my favorite hymn. But then I had to apologize after, because I I listen to this song every day now. But it's called Turn Your Eyes. And one of the verses in it, the second verse says, Turn your eyes on to the hillside where justice and mercy embraced. There the Son of God gave his life for us. And our measureless debt was erased. The gospel message is right there. The cross is where we get that precious faith. I was thinking about this. And I was saying, I wonder how many people really think their faith is precious. If you have a faith that is not precious to you, you have a wrong kind of faith. And I put a little note here. I hope the Lord lets Pastor Dwight finish that update on his on his paper he wrote years ago, the right kind of faith. I hope he lets him finish it before I die. One of the favorite, when my wife, my wife first came to the church over 24 years ago, she brought home a stack of papers. I said, just bring me a doctrinal statement. And here she gets a stack of papers. And I was reading the right kind of faith. If you haven't read that, you need to read it. I would encourage you to read it. Because there's a right kind of faith and there's a wrong kind of faith. And the right kind of faith is a precious faith. So he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a like precious faith with us, we have the same kind of faith. That the apostles had. But we don't get it on our own. It's by his righteousness. In verse 2 he says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the knowledge of God. 
and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. Someone mentioned a while back that, I think it was on a Wednesday night, why is grace and peace there? Because they're twin words. You, you can't separate the two. Grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. I can have it in there. J. Vernon McGee says, grace and peace are always in this order. Interesting, isn't it? We must first know the grace of God. What is the grace of God? It's a gift. Grace of God, the gift. That God has saved us, not because of anything we did. Because, we loved, because he loved us enough to take on himself. The wrath of God in our place. Once we experience God's grace, we can experience the peace of God also. I thought that was well worded. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Multiplied, not just a little bit at a time. Multiplied. And those who know that they have been forgiven of that sin, of their sin, and have trusted in the finished work of Christ, know what it is to receive that grace and what it is to experience the peace that God gives. And he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of our of Jesus our Lord. So how's it going to go? How do we get it? You got to have a little bit of knowledge, right? Knowledge is an interesting word, and this this knowledge that he's talking about. There's two ways of looking at knowledge. Some of you are really really knowledgeable. In a lot of things. Highly educated. But there's two ways to look at knowledge. There's one that's called epinosis. It means experiential. 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 All you English teachers out there. That's what he's using here, is the experiential knowledge. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Epinosis is experiential knowledge. And gnosis is in intellectual knowledge. And... Uh, I tell people sometimes the intellectual knowledge, you know, Paul says, if you, if you, sometimes knowledge puffs up. So be careful what kind of knowledge you're using. You can get prideful about that. 
So in verse, in verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Savior. And verse 3, this is important to understand. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Divine power. You know, you remember the account where the, where the lady with the issue of blood went to Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment. Now, in the, I call it the old King James, not the new King James, but the old King James. The word virtue is there. He says, I felt virtue go out of me. Virtue is power. He says, I felt virtue go out of me. But divine power is what God, because of his divine power, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's nothing left out. We, we We can't go down to the store and say, give me something for my for my life to live a godly life. No, we have to go we have to go to the Lord. And it only it can only be done by his divine power. He says it's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And this life the Greek word is zoe, which means fullness of life, not bio, you know. We have people now, you know, I'm not a biologist. I can't tell the difference. But that's not that word. Zoe is the word, which means fullness of life. So he's given us that. The verse says, and his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That life. We don't have to live a haphazard life in Christianity. We can follow God's word and we, we can have peace. How about that? Wouldn't that be something? You know, there's a lot of... <laughs> I've never seen so many depressed people in my life as I have in the last 15, 20 years. I, I, we, we have relatives that are clinically depressed. I know, they're, I know it's real. I don't understand it. I'm told that. I don't understand that. But I know one thing. If I keep my focus on me instead of my focus on the Lord, I can get depressed pretty easily. Maybe not to the point I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Although my wife sometimes might think I do. But it's important. God has given us things where we can understand what he wants. His divine power. And it says we have this through knowledge. Again, the experiential knowledge. Epinosis. He's called us to, by his glory. Not by anything we've done. It's not by anything that we've done. You might think, well, I'm, I'm the whole package. I can do I, God needs me. I can do it all. I can, I can teach. I can sing. I can lead, you know, I do all kinds of stuff. 
God doesn't need you. He doesn't call you by what you are. He calls you because he loves you. Warren Wiersbe says this. I have, a, I have a couple of slides on this because I think it's important on this word knowledge. The word knowledge does not mean a mere intellectual knowledge. Understanding of some truth, though that, though that is included, it means a living participation in the truth, as in John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is experiential knowledge. The true believer is living a life of, with God because God gave us a new life by faith in Jesus. Now, a note from our, our pastor's commentary. This is important. So many today are after a feeling or an experience. They care little or nothing about doctrine. In fact, the D word, as is sometimes called, is considered a bad word. It is considered boring. In reality, for many, for many professing Christians, church has become a matter of enjoyment and entertainment. They think church is good if I enjoy the preacher. Now this is, you know, we, we do enjoy our preacher, right? But, but not, not, not because of what he, what he does except preach the word. I mean, he, you know. The issue is not substantive truth and doctrine, but pleasure whether it makes me feel a certain way. And that's by Pastor Oswald. So, there's a lot of people, and we hear it all the time. Uh, we, see it, we see it in writing. We hear it uh, from, from people that we know. Oh, I can't go to that church. It's boring. Oh, your service is way too long. You know, your preacher preaches an hour. Really? Sometimes it don't seem like that, does it? It seems like he only preaches for about 20 minutes. But if you're getting fed, are you here to learn the word or are you here for a feeling? You want to walk out of here and say, yeah, praise the Lord. I feel great. And then you get out in your car and then you have a downer. Verse 4. He says, By which we have been given, we have, has been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. Great and precious promises. 
I don't know. Uh, do you ever think of memories of, of people that that have that that you love that aren't around anymore? And you think of good memories. You don't always think of the bad things, right? You think of the good things. Well, maybe depends on who you are. I see some people. I know I'm kind of boring, but just trying to get some points across here. He says he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. You know, a couple of those promises. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. That's a good instruction, right? And then the promises. He shall direct your path. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. And his promise is he will direct your path. Or, how about this one? For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. If you call on him the right way. And he says, we get those through. Through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Nature, the divine nature. We talk, uh, we've had some discussions around here about the divine nature. What does it mean? It means that you are part of the family of God, for one thing. You are partakers with Christ and his righteousness. Not that we're gods, not like some of these false teachers are teaching that they're little gods. We're not little gods. We have a divine nature. God has given us that so that we can live a godly life. We don't have to be down living in sin. In fact, because of that divine nature, we shouldn't be. Divine nature. We're partakers of divine nature. Now, this was interesting. I found, um, as I was reading Warren Wiersbe, nature determines your appetite. Now, some of us like meat. Some of us like, well, some of you like nothing but vegetables. But nature determines your appetite. Appetite. A pig slops. A dog eats its own vomit. Hmm. And sheep desire green pastures. Nature determines the behavior. An eagle flies, a dolphin swims, because that is their nature. Nature determines the environment. Squirrels climb trees. Moles dig underground. Trouts swim in water. 
and nature determines your association. Lions travel in prides, sheep in flocks, and fish in schools. So, are you part of this divine nature? Because we possess this divine nature, we have completely escaped the defilement and decay of this present evil world. That's what he says here. Verse 4. By which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Individually, each one of us that are, a, that are a true believer has escaped this corruption. If we feed the new nature, the nourishment of the word, then we will have little interest in the garbage that the world has to offer. But if we make provision for the flesh... As it says in Romans chapter 13, our sinful nature will lust after the old sins. 2 Peter 1.9 says that we, will that we will disobey God. Godly living is a result of cultivating the nature within. So, just examine yourselves. The scripture says for us to examine ourselves. I like this other verse to this song I quoted earlier. It says, turn your eyes to the morning and see Christ, the lion, awake. What a glorious dawn. Fear of death is gone. For we carry his life in our veins. That describes the divine nature that God has graciously allowed us to have a part in. He says, Jesus, we lift our eyes to you. We lift our eyes, Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. What a beautiful song. And I never thought I'd ever say that about a contemporary song. But that, that's, a, that's a beautiful song. It's got a great message in it. Divine nature. Do you have a part of it? What are, what's your appetite? Do you have an appetite for the word? Do you have an appetite to live a godly life? Do you have an appetite to be surrounded by the right people or the right things? I think I got one more slide here. He said, but for this very reason... Giving all diligence, add to your faith. 
add to your faith. You know, since I've, since I've been sick, or was sick, I'm not sick anymore. I had supplements that were given to me, along with the other medicine that I take, but supplements, and, and they are good for me. So that's what he's saying, supplement your faith. Add to your faith. All right, wait a minute now. I can't, I can't, nothing I did will get me saved. What makes you think that I can add anything to the salvation that I have? Well, you can't add anything to the salvation that you have, but you can add to your faith to make it grow. And this is where he, he is right here. He says, but also for this very reason, the reason we have escaped the, this world, we are partakers of the divine nature, and we have escaped the corruption that is in the world. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. That means sincerity. Diligence, is some of you, some of you exercise quite a bit. I exercise quite a little. But uh, you can never tell it, I know. But, but uh, it's good for you. you diligent, a person that is diligent is sincere. And a person that is, is really into exercising, they're diligent about it. Is that right? He wants us to be diligent. He wants us to be sincere about adding these things to our faith. Now, this Pastor Gary Hamrick illustrates it this way, and I and I liked it so much I had to I had to write it down. He says, add to your faith or supplement your faith. Your faith is like you ladies who bake cakes. Okay? You have a you have a, a, a base plate for your cake, right? You, you have something you want to put your cake on, right? And especially like people that make wedding cakes and things, you know, these fancy cakes. So the base plate is your faith. Now, it's like a seven-layer cake. We, he wants us to add seven, seven things onto our faith. And each one is a better quality or a good quality that we can use in our Christian life to walk with the Lord. So it goes like this. Add to your faith virtue. Okay, virtue. Power. Now, we can't do that ourselves, but we can have a part in it if we're diligent enough. We can ask the Lord diligently... All right, it's your power that can give me that virtue. And virtue is, is simply described as moral excellence. Otherwise, you know, our morality that, that we have before, before, well, I don't know about you guys, but some of you guys were really nice. But I didn't have very good morals. Uh, if, it was, if it was bad, that was good for me. You know, it's a wonder the Lord saved me. 
but I'm sure glad he did. But virtue, add to your faith the first layer of cake. Add to your faith virtue. Moral excellence. And add to virtue, knowledge. This is simple knowledge. Now, we, there's times that we, we just read. We read the Bible. We learn simple, simple knowledge. This is gnosis. But add to your faith that simple intellectual knowledge. We have to know who Jesus is. We have to know who God is. They're both the same one person. God and Jesus are the same person. The same being. We, how do we know that? We have to learn what it says in the Bible. We have to have that knowledge. Learning his attributes. Is he sovereign? You know, things like that. So he says, add to your faith knowledge. Or add to your faith virtue. Add to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. This means discipline. Self-control means discipline. We need to discipline, control our passions and our emotions. Now, I wrote a little note here because I was thinking about someone in, in my life. Uh, not my wife, but someone else. <laughs> But I mentioned this earlier. Clinical depression is real. I'm told often, I don't understand what people are going through. That may be true. And I don't doubt that at all. That's why when, when, people, when people want to be counseled, they don't come to me. Because they, I, try to, I try to just be blunt. I don't have a... I don't have a nature that I'm going to sit and, and I'm probably not going to cry with you, uh, although it depends on the situation. But I'm going to be blunt. And, and that's just the way that, that uh, I don't know if I can change that or not. But if you want counsel from me, it's going to be counsel from the Word of God and it's going to be blunt. Now, some people can do it in a really nice way. And smack you upside the head in a really nice way. I can't do that. I don't have that ability yet. I, I say yet because maybe later on the Lord will help me do that. But to get back to my note here I put. That may be true that I don't know what people are going through. But I know this. When I'm depressed. My focus is on me. Poor me. Why am I going through this? Why do I have to put up with this? Why is this happening to me? And then I have to be slapped upside the head by the Holy Spirit with conviction in my heart and say, get your focus back on the one who really matters. You see, there's only one hero in this life. There's only one hero in the Bible. And it's not me. And it's not you. So get your mind off of yourself and get, on your, get your focus on Jesus. 
And I say, when I, when I do that, I must get my fa- focus on Jesus and try to rejoice in what he has given me. And I'll tell you what, when I think about what, for 48 years, God called me out of a life of, that I was living, and he made a change. Now, some of you could care less. But the only reason I'm here today is because Jesus made a change in me. But he says, self-control. And I think sometimes we, we hurt our testimony more. We bring more shame to the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace by not being self-controlled with our tempers and our words. And some people can just use language that is not becoming of a, of a believer in Christ and not think twice about it. And some people can lose their temper and just make a mess out of things. Now, I just mentioned there's only one hero in the Christian life, and that's Jesus. But let me say a little testimony here. Years ago, I was working with a man. And I lost my temper. Things were not going the way I thought they should go. And I blurted, I blurted out something that, that just was not godly. And this guy looked at me, and he was an unbeliever. And this guy looked at me and he said, you know what? We call you the preacher around here. He said, I look up to you even though I don't believe what you believe. But you really hurt me by what you said. Sometimes all it takes is a second and we lose our testimony. Self control. It's a fight, but we have to do it. And to self-control, perseverance. Remember, it starts out diligently do these things. Sincerely do these things. Not just say, oh yeah, I'll try that for a while. If it don't work, I'm giving up. No. Diligently. And he says, add to self-control, perseverance. Continue to run the race. You've heard it many times. It's not a it's not a it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's till Jesus takes us home, bearing up under pressure, perseverance, bearing up under pressure, and to perseverance, godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is a God consciousness in all things. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And of course, that Greek word is Philadelphia, which means be concerned for one another like family. It's like, you know, we're in a, we're in a church that is a minority. We are truly a family here. And uh, that's how you can put up with me for once in a while, you know. But we're truly a family. We care about each other. 
you know, and, and uh, what, what would it be like, you know, just fighting all the time? Uh, not good. So he says, to godliness, brotherly kindness, love one another like a family, and to brotherly kindness, love. Wait a minute, he just says brotherly kindness. What's the difference between brotherly kindness and love? Well, the Greek word is agape. That's the perfect love. That's God's kind of love. The kind of love that sacrifices of self for the benefit of others. And we see that around here constantly. Now, wow, I guess I, I've taken more time than 20 minutes. Huh? Anyway, let me, get to, let me get to the finish of this. He says, if these things are yours and abound... I knew I wasn't going to get to the verse 15. So, maybe another time. But he says, if these things are yours and abound, how are they going to abound? By diligently adding to it. Not just by a pass in the dark, or pass in the night, or whatever you are, uh, what do they call it, flittering pass or something. But diligently adding these things. Each one is, a, is a, to grow your character in a godly manner. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge, again, the experiential, the epinosis of our Lord Jesus Christ. You get to know in a personal way, you know, not, you know, he's not going to talk to you like I'm talking to you. But you know that you have a relationship with him. The implication of these qualities have become a rightful part of our character. Not a mere fleeting manifestation. The present tense implies continuing process. Their growth must be a constant process of increase leading to abundance. And that's from Edward, Edmund Heber. He said, now verse 9 is, is the whole crux of this. So, listen up. I'll, I'll be done in a minute. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He who lacks these things is short-sighted. What does that mean? That means you can't see very far. You're looking at yourself, mostly. You just can't see the forest for the trees or something like that. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. Now... I know I'm not going to get there, but let me, let me read why Peter wrote this. He says, for this reason, verse 12, he says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent or this body, to stir you up by reminding you why do we be remind, need to be reminded? Because we forget. 
Knowing shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you will always have a reminder of these things after my decease. After my decease. You know, life is too brief. And the needs of this world are too great for God's people to be walking around with our eyes closed. We need to open our eyes. We need to put our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the real hero of our faith. And we need to diligently add these godly characters where he doesn't have to be ashamed of us. Okay? All right. We got a, we got our last song. Sorry I went over 20 minutes, guys, but... <laughs>